Hello, this is Pack Your Bags with Tui and I'm Russell Kane. I've just checked and it's still the case. I can't believe it. We've reached the end of series one. Thanks so much to our frequent flyers for coming on to help me on this journey. As it is the last episode of the series, we want to get your feedback to help us shape the future of the podcast. So we'd really appreciate you taking a few minutes to fill out the survey in the episode description. If you're joining us on board for the first time today, welcome. This is the Travel Podcast, if you don't know, where I speak to legends from the world of sports, food, science, entertainment and more, and I chat to them about their greatest travel adventures and frequently misadventures and how these experiences have enriched their lives and how it works is quite simple. Over the course of the episode, they will reveal their three must-pack items and their surprising stories behind them. I will also ask to see their passport. Yes, this is, of course, primarily to poke fun and make cheap jokes about their appearance. But it's also to find out what's in their passport, where have they been around the world for work and for pleasure. And to polish it all off, we finish with a quick fire round to put them in the hot seat. And today we are wrapping up the season in style because I'm joined by the one and only Sue Perkins, the Perkmeister General, Perco, Perk up, take your Perkazette, because Sue is in the house, fueled by porridge. Hello, Sue. <laughs> Welcome to Pack Your Bags with Tui. How are you doing today? I'm good, champ. I'm really good. Yeah, and Aunt Perkins is staying, my mum, so yeah, well porridged up. I feel like you've heard every cognate of Perk. Did I hit any new ones there, Perkazette? Oh yeah, Perkazette's strong. She's your <laughs> super king's... No, you hit loads of good ones. Percocets, oh, absolutely. I'm that's I'm like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Going anywhere imminently? Anything in the next week? Uh, in the next the, week? Yeah, you're getting on the aeroplane. I mean, I'm I've, I've got my <laughs> main aer- luggage and my hand luggage literally outside the booth. That's how passionate I am about this project, Sue. Um, you going anywhere soon? I'm I'm going to France in a couple of weeks. Ooh. See a mate, um, and then I might be going to Alaska, which is one of my favourite places in the world. I've never been to Alaska. <gasps> the final frontier. No. Well, that, I think that was space. But anyway, um, <laughs> one of one of the final frontiers. Uh, it's unbelievable. I went before I did Dangerous Roads with Charlie Ballman. And yeah, it wasn't called Dangerous Roads genuinely when I started the trip. And this is true. It was called The World's Most Interesting Roads. Oh, that was the I show. I you. Well, that's the show I signed up for. It's in the contract. I went back and looked at it. And then we were basically on the Dalton Highway, the ice roads, and um, they kept saying, you need to you need to stop driving because there's a blizzard coming in. And then the producer went, yippee. And I thought, what's happening? And she went, well, we're worried it's not dangerous enough, so we're going to put you into the blizzard. And I said, well, why does it have to be dangerous? And then she informed me they'd changed the title of the show. Anyway, we nearly died that night. So I'm going back to Alaska <laughs> not to do that. You wouldn't exactly go to Alaska with it. It's like... Neck brace guaranteed with Sue Perkins. Yeah, I'm not, not, this may surprise you, I'm not hardwired for danger. I'm not built for (laughs) adrenalised sports. I was just, I just thought it'd be a nice little pot around, you know, the the, the fringes of the Arctic Circle looking at lynx. But no, we nearly died that night. Um, It was awful. It was really awful. Just suddenly traumatised revisiting it. Well, if you want to follow Susan, <laughs> no, no. Um, right. Well, normally we do the the a passport check here, but I know mm. you've not brought yours by accident because you, you thought it was a domestic journey into London. You didn't need your passport. You quite rightly didn't bring it. Well, also I forget everything. I mean, unless it's tattooed onto my arm, I forget everything. But, well, the thought is it's the last episode. We could have a bit of fun, and we we could look at mine. Yeah, with that that's mine with my serial killer pose. Look at you. I look like, by the way, I'm mine. Um, I look like a member of the Bader Meinhof gang. So I'm glad I'm not coming. You. Your face has gone very, your head's gone very thin in this. Yes, I know. Because it's weird because you can't smile, 
but at the same time, you don't, you can't do any sort of face, and you realise quite hard to do a neutral face on purpose. That's not neutral, mate. That's what is that? that I've come for your children. <laughs> that, that is that was absolute homepage. I dare you. No, it's <laughs> sheer serial killer. It's it's a, there's a bit of blue steel in there. There's a bit yeah, of yeah, you know you. erstwhile sort of hot stuff. Rusty steel, model. we could call it. <laughs> you could. I'm from Essex. Orange steel. And the lips are slightly pouty. Look Thank at that. Thank you for that. Thank you. What's your first must-pack item in your bag, Sue? A head torch. A head torch. Mm. Now, I'm assuming it doesn't have uh, any erotic import, so uh, what is no it? No erotic. <laughs> I mean, no, not my bag, really. Uh, um, when I was finishing puberty, I found it quite <laughs> useful with my first girlfriends just to show a diligence. Yeah, and I respect that. Um, this isn't, however, a sexual accoutrement. <laughs> What's um, so I've used head torches lots of times so I never really travelled much as a, a kid or a young adult we didn't go on holiday much um, so a lot of my travelling's happened as uh, an adult and because of the joys of work so uh, my first big trip was I did uh, all of Southeast Asia which is amazing and that's when I was introduced to the joy of the head torch which got me out of many many dangerous situations uh, particularly in Tibet where you can't wee where we were staying you couldn't wee on your own you had to be accompanied because of the Tibetan mountain dogs that would attack uh, when yeah so you had to be chummed every time and, and what that per- the person or the torch would stop well, you needed to see where you were going and see if there were any wild animals nearby. Oh, my God. Well, I, that one, I would have weed myself as I left yeah, my was, accommodation, so that would have solved that. It was quite bad. Um, obviously, you know, I'll stay in lots of places, there's no electricity. So if you want to step out, and there's no running water and there's no sanitation. So wow. you always had to go out for a wee. And at times we were at altitude, which means you're weeing every 15 minutes. So me and my friend Vic would just be crouched next to one another, weeing against a wall of a Tibetan shack. I was going, get your head torch fixed. What is that? Is that a yak? Sometimes it would be yak, just chumbling just oh, into view. I didn't know altitude increased yeah. was a diuretic. It is a diuretic. And the drugs they give you to combat it make it even more of a diuretic. The whole, ter- they squeeze your kidneys dry. Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, I already live on the toilet, having a sit down wee most nights anyway. Do you? That's oh, just normal for blokes. You get past thirty-five, and nearly every man I know. You every time I go for an examination, I think surely it's a, a prostate with its own orbit and moon. But no, it's just a man over forty. Is, constant it, is that what it is? Apparently, yeah. Are you over forty? God, yeah. Yeah. look at you. <laughs> Face of a cherub. <laughs> real man. Rebooked for series two. <laughs> Congrats. Um, so you said you didn't travel much. As a child, I mean, you recall, you've literally got a book called East of Croydon, punning on the fact that you really didn't like travel and didn't want to do it. So was it not part of your childhood? No, never. My dad was sort of, I think now we could happily say agoraphobic. So um, he was <laughs> like, well, I don't want to, I like my bed and I like the sofa and I really like grandstand. So every trip was always um, focused around getting back for grandstand. So we used to do day trips to Brighton that weren't day trips. We'd leave at five in the morning, get there at half past five wait till the shop opens, have a bag of crisps, get pushed into the sea, have another bag of crisps, and be home by 12.30. And, and just for, for listeners who might not be familiar with the geography, Croydon to Brighton is not that far. No, it's <laughs> half an hour at that time. It really, really is. Just a hop and a skip and that would be it. And he'd be happy to have that as a summer holiday. We, as what, we... Wait a minute, so no, never overnight in Brighton? No, could, are you out of your mind? Well, no. Well, this is the first one for Pack Your Bags. We've had lots of people, including myself, who never... Step foot on an aeroplane till they were in double digits. I think I was twelve. Yeah, I was double digits. And um, but I've never had anyone on who didn't have even overnight stays in the United Kingdom. Bertie didn't like it. He just wanted to be at home. He's very happy there. Um, so did you catch that in a sense that sort yeah. of dislike or fear of travel? 
I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, with the best will in the world, if if you know, if, if and my mum wasn't that bothered either. I mean, she was always having to make a. She just discovered lasagna at that point, um, so she was <laughs> always making lasagna. <laughs> That's like going to Italy. I know. I've said this before, but she, when she discovered pasta, she'd say Italian words but shout them. She said, <laughs> "We're having penne, penne tonight." Um, but I, I was double digits too before I stepped on a plane. My nan and granddad moved to Torremolinos. Right, I know it well. The promised lands, and I think that was my first trip in a plane, and I was about eleven or twelve, I think, mm, maybe ten, but. Um, it was so long ago that Puerto Banus, which is now the docking station for all those gin palaces, they were building it. There's a picture of me having a Fanta on this concrete promontory, which was to become Puerto Banus. And yeah, we stayed with them on the 7th, 10th, 14th floor, whatever it was, in yeah. their tower block in, in uh, Torremolinos. So you're a bit, you are a travel contrast, Sue Perkins. I mean, you, you're mm. self-proclaimed almost phobic of travel up yeah. until quite advanced years. Yeah. Um, you have zero skills. You no. proudly state how, or, I know I'm surprised at this, bad at learning languages. You always struck me as a, words, a wordsmith. I hope I can, I, one day I will master our own language, but I actually, <laughs> my memory's not great for, no, I'm trying to learn Spanish at the moment, but but yeah, it's, I'm not brilliant with languages. And you, you're not good with the practical skills, or even though you do wear a head torch to dodgy yak, which seems quite advanced. So you've gone from... Because of Bertie and Grandstand, almost phobic of travel, yeah. to, oh, maybe I'll get on a plane to Torremolinos when I'm 12, to Asia, South America, Alaska. Um, can you tell me a bit how you reconcile these two parts of yourself? I think I got to a stage where I thought I, I am suffering from the same suite of things that my dad was suffering from. So uh, closing down a bit to new experiences, frightened of things, agoraphobic, stuff like that. Uh, as you say, you do learn from your parents. And I just hadn't really pushed myself. And I'm naturally a person who's quite extreme. I either want to be indoors, not speaking to anybody, or I want to be outside on a table dancing till 7am. And as you say, they, those two sort of poles are quite hard to reconcile. Um, so I switched between them to dizzying and disastrous effects. And I I don't think I'd have gone anywhere had it not been for for TV, to be honest, for work, because they said, oh, would you do it? And I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity to force myself yeah. to change. And I'm very glad I did it, because I'd still be just going to Torremolinos. What was that first wild trip you did that because TV had almost forced you into it, mm. you were like, I cannot believe I'm, I'm doing this? Oh, it was amazing. So the first trip I did, so we did the Mekong River back to front. So we did from the Delta. Vietnam? Yeah, yeah, started in Vietnam, yeah, and ended up in paradise in, in Tibet at the beginnings of the the very beginnings or as as far as we could get to actually get to the to the source of the Mekong that's you, you have to take pack animals and go through you know we couldn't have done it I don't think it would have been a, a very long trip but anyway um so my first experience was suddenly arriving if you've been to the delta and, and but it, it's mm -mm. floating markets screaming billions of ships dragon fruit kids tumbling backwards into these filthy foaming waters you know punch ups commerce blistering heat and a color a really such a particular color sky there it's really sort of milky and delicious and everything looks romantic but also dangerous <laughs> yeah wow. it was amazing it was amazing it's, it was almost, apart from the heat, like Southend-on-Sea you were describing. Yeah, I took me back home, didn't I, for a, for a moment. Chip wrappers, it was yeah. a seagull pecking at someone who'd fallen asleep <laughs> after too much 2020. It was exactly that. But wow, on, on, that on, sounds it was, amazing. It was amazing and just culturally, I mean, I know it's stupid to say it, but 
just even when you look up into the sky and you go, oh, the moon's the moon's upside down. I'm just literally the other side of the what the moon's upside down. The moon's in a different place. Mm. And just stuff like that. I fell in love with it. I was away for about four months on that trip off and on. And And did uh, that first trip break that totally. suite of complaints in half, never to for them never to return? Broke a lot of things. Um, on, one, on one hand, it, reass- it, it, it sort of it reaffirms some things. For me, travel's a very important way of affirming how lucky my life is. Mm. So there's a bit of Bertie in that. Like, home's great. Home's great because we can turn on a light and there's electricity and, you know, we're running yeah. water. And most of the places I've been don't have any of that. Um, but at the same time, it, it, as you say, it kind of changed it up to the point where I can't sit still now. I have to be. Yeah. I have to know that I've got another trip planned. I think you're a bit like me. Like, um, people are surprised. I re- there is a word for it which I've discovered, which sounds like I've, I've got some sort of um, untoward desires. And there were, it's an ambivert, mm. and that is someone who Movement. loves actually being on the table, dancing, centre of attention at the party, on stage. But I could do three days with a pile of books. With no one in a hotel room on my own, yeah, not not lonely even for a second. No, uh, just just loving life, looking at the view and reading. Yeah. Um. So I find I'm on a tour, tour date, and I've got two nights in Wales. It's, it's heaven for me just to sit if I've got a balcony, just reading for two days. And yet, I would also probably enjoy going to the club after my gig and 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 dancing. The two things seem irreconcilable. It seems like you've got that sort of attitude to travel as well. You can self recharge, but you can also put yourself out there. Definitely. And um, I can power down and not think about anything or do anything and not be lonely. So when the time comes, I can spring into action. And I love people. Travel for me is like completely prompted by a deep curiosity Mm. about everything and everyone. And I'm not afraid of anything or anyone. So I will... And I was very lucky with that experience as they let me, none of none of my travel stuff's ever scripted. So if I like the look of someone, if there's a granny doing some interesting dancing, yep. uh, <laughs> that's it. That's what we're going to film. You'd um, enjoy one of my cousin's weddings then. Yeah, I would. <laughs> love that. <laughs> so anything that really stands out where you really pushed yourself out of your comfort zone? I mean, yak weeing with a head torch is going to be hard to top, I would argue. Oh, I don't know. I think performing a, a sort of filthy rap uh gig with MC Carroll in a favela at 3.30 in the morning in San Paolo is it's probably up there. <laughs> Filming was briefly stopped when Mark, who's absolute joy, who's head camera guy, uh, just I looked over at him and a guy had an AR-15 pointed at his forehead and we're like, we're just going to down tools for 10 minutes. Just why why was that? Moment. Something in the rap was wrong or he wanted the camera? Well, no, what happened is that um, we, we were... Uh, welcomed in by local community support guys and wow. so we were looked after but another another crew from a different favela turned up just to go what's going on it's not in their interest to kick off because actually the favelas are really interesting cool places and actually they don't want to create trouble because of course the police come in and just yeah. kill everyone they just kill everyone so they're not but it was more like just so you don't get too up yourselves. Yeah. This is how I, this is how the law is done here. I still would have gone through a box of emodium if I'd seen that gun it, without without going into detail. I've seen yeah, <laughs> I've seen a lot of guns, a lot of guns. Really? Yeah, a lot of guns. Yeah. I've shot guns. I've been shot by a gun. Um, what? Yeah, in Colombia. We went to a warehouse. Wait a minute. What, a bullet entered your body? Didn't enter it. You were wearing a bulletproof vest or something? Yeah, I was wearing Kevlar. So basically Colombia Oh my as God. you know. Uh, Escobar, you know, all everyone knew about Colombia was Escobar for so long, for decades. And then after Escobar died, they thought, well, we've developed all this bulletproof tech, wearable tech. So they now are, the, I think, the world's largest exporters of bulletproof vests. So there's a guy called Miguel who, who's got one of these firms and, and he'll shoot you. 
to prove the the worth of his Kevlar. How on earth did you see that and agree to doing that? I, just, I don't. I just. I just. I've got no boundaries. Part of me is like very square and like? horrible. So did you bruise? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And he so it's a thirty-eight caliber pistol. Oh and my god! He, he was about the gun was about a foot away from my gut. What? Yeah. I can't actually believe this is a it's shocking really revelation ever in yeah. the Pack Your Bags booth. Yeah. So we did it for a Netflix how, show. How do you get from an agoraphobic who does day trips to Brighton to being shot in the gut in Colombia? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm a person of extremes. I don't have boundaries. <laughs> and, I'm, and therapy doesn't seem to have ameliorated that in any way. But anyway, yeah, I just thought, oh, it would be wow. interesting. And I trusted Miguel. And Miguel's Kevlar held good. But it's not nice, no, because even though you don't actually get the impact of the bullet, what you do get is the sheer, the force, and you feel like your internal organs moving, Ugh. everything like a wave of pressure. And then I just cried for 10 minutes. It was horrible. Don't do oh, it, kids. Hell. Yeah, don't do it. I have to dig that up. Can we watch that? Yeah, it's still, we did a, so it was a Netflix three-parter that's called Perfectly Legal, but still, oh, you can yes. still see it. Okay, so... Is a bulletproof vest your next must-back item? <laughs> pen knife. Pen knife? Yeah. Practicality, defence, bit of both? Bit of everything, really. But the, the reason I've packed that in is because in my head it became very, very useful whilst sleeping on a table uh, in Laos. Very useful. So terrible mosquito issue. I got something called chikigunya from... Can, how did. are you not resident on Would I Lie to You? I mean, that, you should just <laughs> be... They've given the, up. <laughs> they've given up. They just, they just go, true. So you're asleep on a table. I've stayed on a lot of tables. But anyway, so we bring these <laughs> these sort of um, little mattresses in the van and we'd stay with families. And so you'd either, But stay on the floor is not great because scuttly things creep me. So I'd stay on a table and then I'd drape my mosquito net uh, all around me because... Uh, yeah, the malaria. Well, even though we were anti-malarials, there's so many things you can get. But uh, I'd need to wee in the night, so I would cut. Use my pen knife, and I'd cut, <laughs> cut a water bottle in half, and then use that as a wee receptacle, so I didn't have to go out and get bitten by mosquitoes. That's good. You made a, a, a travel shiwi. And where Indeed. where were you in the world? Uh, it was in Laos there, but I used it all the way up actually. So I uh, but it used the Thailand and well, yeah, uh, Cambodia. I used that a lot. I still got sick, but I didn't get malaria. So, Mekong River, tell us a bit more about that because it's somewhere people might not think of for a holiday destination, but there's loads of tourism in Vietnam, isn't so it? So much. Vietnam's an amazing place to, to, to visit, actually. Yeah, so you can start in Vietnam, get loads of river cruises. You can go, um, it wends its way through Cambodia, up through Laos and um, China, through the Yunnan province in China, and then up to the Autonomous Prefecture of Tibet, which I think is its correct name. Mm. Um so you can get all the thrills and spills of Southeast Asia on one river uh, and you can move through, um, I mean, one of the most capitalist, communist economies I've ever seen in in, in Vietnam through um, to um, uh, go and see Angkor Wat, um, stop off at see Angkor Wat in Cambodia, obviously. Uh, uh, or you can, I Laos, I loved, I absolutely love it. It's a very peaceful, beautiful. You don't hear many people talking about Laos as, as a travel destination. So everyone goes around it, don't they? Cambodia, yeah. Vietnam, Thailand, but... Oh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. The people are extraordinary. Weirdly, it's got this untouched beauty about it, um, partly because the amount of unexploded bombs that are still there. Right. So they can't clear a forest because I think more, I mean, tons. And, I mean, I think more more ordnance was dropped on Laos than um, by the Americans during the Vietnam War than 
than bombs were dropped in the to- in the in the total sum of the Second World War, something mm. like that. But anyway, it's given a place a sort of weird, sort of ethereal beauty. And then you can go to oh, Luang Prabang. Where's that? <gasps> so Luang Prabang is a really it's got I think it's got one of the highest concentrations of monasteries anywhere. It's the most serene place, super chill, confluence of lots of tributaries of the river, and great for backpacking. And it's beautiful climate and it's wonderful. How long would it take to get on, along the Mekong River if you've arrived in Vietnam and you're going up to... Oh, a long uh, time. But, uh, like days and days and days. I can't Because I, we didn't do it in a cruisy way. We did it in a uh, fits and starts filming way. I couldn't tell you, but yeah, I'd say probably six days, something like that. Oh, that'd be good though. Yeah, good super holiday. good. A few years later, you followed another river, the Ganges. Very um, river-based, mate. Very river-based. Yeah. What was your experience of travelling in India? And do you think you're drawn to water or is it just an accident of how you've been booked to make programmes or do you think there's something in you that connects with? It's it's nice to travel along, uh, 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 keeping a familiar pathway I suppose so, given, you. given your CV of Brighton day trips and not leaving the house, a river is sort of reassuringly the parameters are, yeah. are limited. I get that. But also, it's, you know, a great river can take you from you know, huge big cities into absolute middle of nowhere. So you do, you, you, you do get lots of ch- changing topography and people and all the rest of it. Uh, India's hardcore. Mm. India's a hardcore place to be. It's very hard to film there because there's the volume of people who want to stand very, very close to you. Um, but it's amazing. I'm, I, it was the best of times and the worst of times for me. So we spent a lot of time in, in the northern parts of India. I did a separate travel thing in Kolkata and I've got a lot of... I have a real affinity with Kolkata, actually. The people there are extraordinary. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Um, but we were in Patna, which was tough. You know, these these sort of newly emerging cities are super polluted. Uh, they can be quite dangerous. But it's just the wealth. And it's just the sadness, you know. You, you, can turn a, you can feel so much joy in India and so much delight at the vibrancy and you turn a corner and just something just heart rippings happening you know mm. a lot of street i couldn't cope with the street kids if i'm honest and i also think it's important to be truthful yeah sure we saw amazing things and there were temples and there was you know you know that high festivities amazing food lots of dancing and fun but there was, there's also kids who sleep on a bit of newspaper and i couldn't quite get past that to be honest mm. that was too much too much for me but um what about the food and the food's unreal if you're going to go to kolkata and i know it's not everyone's choice for a holiday destination but i truly love it uh the catty roll oh my word Oh my word, the catty roll. It's like a dance, a crazy on TikTok. Oh, it's absolutely, you can stuff it like a roti stuff with deliciousness. And Mm. so you were saying you'd, uh, off mic, you'd been in Goa. So you've had some amazing. I did did, did the the starter state, Goa, which I enjoyed. Then I advanced to a Kerala. Which yeah. was so romantic. We conceived a child when we were there. And then I've I've gone so far as a Mumbai where you wander around the city, going to back streets, going to the cafes where the where normal workers are having their lunches. That felt quite brave. Mumbai was is full on. Yeah. Delhi is Mumbai like on steroids. Yeah. Squared. That's insane. Um and weirdly, when the when the pandemic hit, I'd already got a supply of uh, appropriate masks because I just was in Delhi going, I can't breathe here. So we'd got some already. Yeah, it's full on. And how was your tummy when you're there? Because Delhi belly is the phrase people use. You got you know, away with it? Got away with it. And I was eating all sorts. I mean, I've eaten some terrible, terrible... I mean, because if we're staying, you know, if you're staying with people and they serve you food, you eat it. I had, I had a rat at one point. You I ate bar- a rat? A barbecued rat. 
That wasn't in India. That was in China. I'd have had a toad. I've had a microwaved toad. <laughs> microwaved, gross. And, and in Cambodia, I mean, at, le- at least sear it. So the toad. Oh no, there's no, there's no time. It's just bang it in, <laughs> bang it in on full power, six hundred watts, maybe seven fifty, four minutes. And then the worst one was the um, Cambodia. Their delicacy is uh, fried tarantulas. Oof. Right, and what do they taste like? The belly is yield, yields a lot of ooze. Don't like it. It wasn't, did it taste? Texturally, it's confusing. Because oh, the legs are crunchy, as yeah. you'd expect, like a spider crab or a, you know, a soft-shell crab. But the middle just... Not a good taste? Just oozed. Bitter? So bitter. I don't <laughs> want to go back there, actually. I don't know why I've even mentioned that. I'm a fool to myself. And have you been back since to India? Or? Um, I'd love to go as a, I'd love to go as a tourist. I'd love to do Rajasthan, which is somewhere between the gateway, the entry levels of Goa and Kerala. What are the highlights of Rajasthan, then? What's the famous... The temples. Yeah. The temples. Do you like entering temples and churches when you're walking around? I do, actually. Are you a religious person? I'm not. I was brought up a Catholic, but we all, on on famille, lapsed at the same time. Basically, my dad's mate got divorced and they wouldn't let him in. And so he said, right, that's it. We're done with that. And so the whole family overnight kind of stopped being Catholic. Um, But I've I've got a deep... uh, a deep reverence for other people's beliefs. <laughs> so um, I, I do. I love it. I, I love it. I love, you know, even if you're... I remember being in Madeira years ago. I was in my 20s. I went to Madeira for all, all places with some mates. And you'd just be in the baking heat and then you just go into this little chapel and it's just... Everything mm. changes. You know, a little bit of... A bit of solitude, a little bit of calm, get the sun off you for a bit. It's wonderful. I know you're a fan of Venice as well, mm. as am I. I love Venice in the winter has been one of our tips throughout. Yeah. Uh, pack your bags. You get it. To, I mean, if you've got the courage to go January the second, you have got the place to yourself. Yeah. I mean, anywhere, anywhere beautiful in Europe, off season, hard, hard. But the temples and the churches and the places of worship in Venice are something else. Just you can spend. An entire, in fact, I did. I think I did a mini break, four days maybe, and we just did churches. I'd just be staring at the marble work, you know, the way that they've, they've, they've made, you know, sort of clothing look so tactile, so real in marble. Unreal. Do go there. Yeah, everyone must go there. Venice is exceptional. So we can't talk about religion, belief and travel without touching on LGBTQ plus issues. Do you, is there anywhere you've felt... That's been an issue. Have you felt more welcomed in some place than another? Are there places you maybe would choose not to go? Yeah. I mean, there are places that I don't, for example, go as a tourist because it's well known that, you know, um, I might not get the greatest reception. And I've travelled places, you know, for work where where it's either illegal or deeply frowned upon. But then I'm I'm not I'm not gonna shove my my life into somebody else's face. Mm. You know, there are ways to, to you know, I don't stop being gay because I go to a country that doesn't like me, but I, mm. I modify my behaviour. Yeah. Put it, put it exactly. That way. Yeah, I don't, I'm not smashing sambuca in the street in Dubai. No. There's a difference between okay, I'm not going to choose that place because it actively discriminates against that community. There's a difference between that and I'm going to go somewhere where it's culturally not. Nobody likes kissing in the street, for example. You know, they're, they're, those are two different things. You know, and I'm, I'm, I would ignore perhaps as a travel destination the first, but I would go to the second, and I would just behave myself. Yeah. You know, you can you can just behave yourself. I've had that experience in in the, in the Middle East where it's t- frowned up well, to the point where the police would have a word with you to show affection to your partner, to, to my wife. You wouldn't even even holding hands gets the odd glance. Yet men will 
hold hands, brothers, friends, cousins, and it's it's quite normal. So that was that was an adjustment. Yeah, same in India. Um, men often hold hands in India. It's beautiful. Um, but uh, if you were to say, "Oh, are you in a gay relationship?" Then it would really, really kick off. But at the same time, you know, you can have extreme all sorts of extremes in India. Like I spent a lot of time with the Hijra community, the transgender community there, and um, on one hand, they're sort of pilloried, they're often abused. But on the other, they're always called upon for blessings when babies come, Bizarre. when they're new babies. So you get the hijra around and they'll do the blessings. It's such a fascinating place, India. But oh, I love it. If there were people who only had a few weeks holiday or a short time to explore this part of the world, where would you where would you send them? I'd go to the temples of Rajasthan, or I'd go to the waterways of Kerala, just as a gateway. You don't want to you don't want to do seven days in Delhi. You'll go mad, and your lungs will be like smoke kippered when you come back. You know, but you know, I I'd, I'd say. Start light and get a feeling for the place. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I'd go for Rajasthan because that's where I really, really want to go. So if, if if your listeners get to go there before me, I'll be super jealous. But it's an, uh, equally, if you, if you do want to just go full insane, yeah, Kolkata, it's amazing. What an amazing part of the world, you know. And, you know, from there you could go somewhere crazy like the Sundarbans uh, where... You know, it's just it's sort of sea level. You know, these these islands that are most at risk. But you could go there and maybe do something good. Go and go and go with a charity to the Sundarbans and do something good for the kids there. They're amazing. What advice would you have for someone who wants to take their first steps out their comfort zone? Maybe test their boundaries. Try a new continent, right? Yeah, I think people idea. get very very continent specific. I do too. Europe, 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 Europe. Mini break, mini break, mini break. Love it. You could spend a whole life just going to different cities in Italy or Spain. Try a different continent. Pick one and then go, all right, okay, what's what's the safest gateway experience I can have there? So if it's Africa, for example, yeah. I might go and see something beautiful in Botswana or Kenya. But um and then if you if you find that I always sort of feel that people have natural affinities with places and particularly with continents like south america now is like i have an affinity i have yeah. an affinity i was always scared it. of south america and i'd only been to north america so my gateway experience was costa rica oh, i mean literally a gateway if you think about it yeah. geographically speaking so i went there and had all the sort of oh i'm in south america yeah. there's a bit of jungle or this feels different and that got rid of that sort of fear of visiting that part of the world it's exactly that it's like pick an unfamiliar continent but a place within it that feels there's enough points of familiarity and safety for you to, you know, be okay. And ultimately, it's a holiday. You want to enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, I, when I go on holiday, I just, I large it up. I have a great time. For work, it's often more testing. It's more, there's more trials and tribulations. But you can mix in some of that. But the main, the main you know, people work hard, okay? They want to have a nice time. So you want to do, stretch yourself, but not too much. Because ultimately, you just want, a, a, you know, 14 nights of deep chill. Indeed. Right, let's delve into the bag. What is the third must-pack item? I'm not going to use a brand here, but I'm going to say rehydration tablets. Rehydration tablets. Now, would they, would you have fallen in love with these when you're peeing five times a night in, <laughs> yeah. in the mountains? But they, do you know what? They're super useful anyway. Actually, do you know what? This isn't just because, oh, look, I've travelled lots of places and I've weed myself into a basically a crisp. Um, <laughs> they're really good for hangovers. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're going to Magaluf... What, crisps? No, <laughs> rehydration tablets. But so are crisps. Yeah, crisps are amazing. <laughs> In fact, you've just created my hangover breakfast for tomorrow. Gorgeous. Crisps and a rehydration tablet. If you get the blood <laughs> current flavour, you are in for such a treat, my friend. They're delicious. <laughs> 
So I've used these from uh, hen weekends to middle of, you know, middle of nowhere. Everyone packs paracetamol or whatever. Pack some of those, just a couple of them. It just means if you've had a heavy night, like sometimes you don't know you're going to be on one and then you're on one and then you're just parched, wizened and mental. Smash one of those. The world's your oyster. You can explore so many more um you know, churches in uh, in wherever, in Venice, well, Venetian I, churches. I wanted to ask you about this addiction to sort of European city breaks mm. because I think you might suffer from the same condition I do, which is like you're tested positive for freelancer syndrome, mm. which is a belief that if you leave the country for too long, you'll be replaced or lose work or you'll never work again. Exactly. So four days and that's it. Then you've got to come back and be on it just in case, just in case you've missed something. But also because the there's so much wonderment to be had in Europe like for me like my next trip's going to be Slovenia or Slovakia mm. one of the because the, apparently the walking's incredible the climate's beautiful Lake, Lake Bled in Slovenia where I have been where I camped on the banks of uh, of like, can you have a bank at a lake I think you can yeah on the on the banks of Lake Bled it was absolutely stunning you can fly into Ljubljana capital mm. of Slovenia very short journey hour or two and you're in Bled Ljubljana itself by the way well, have you been there? No, I really want well to go. Well worth a poke around. So that that's that's on the bucket list, and that's I've got that tip now. So that is excellent. And then in the old camper van, I'm going to be doing some wild uh, camping in Scandinavia. So that's next. Or do you try and get a month? So pushing against the mini break. I tell I tell you what I've discovered as well. Put leaning into the mini break even more. So my my daughter's seven at the moment. You know these lies people tell you when they get older they need you less. What a load of <laughs> no, no, BS no. that turned out to be. It was easier for me and Lindsay to get, you know, two, three nights away when she was what I called a milk slug. So we experimented with the one night break. Bear with me. You fly out early in the morning, like a, do a school run, and then you're on a plane by 9am, landing, I don't know, wherever you are, uh, Rome or Venice or Paris, by midday, and then leaving by 2pm the next day after your hotel checkout. You would be surprised how much you force yourself to cram in. There's mm. something about the short break where you do more. And we get home the next day, I was like, was that really just one day? But we did the market and then we had the meal, but we did the we had the fish at lunchtime. And then we ended up going to that weird oh, bar at I two in it. the morning. And yeah, we've had no sleep. And this morning we had the little breakfast around the corner. It can have a paradoxical effect where the short break makes you do more than you would <laughs> no, do I on agree. a long break. I rinsed Berlin. I only had a couple of, I had uh, one night or two nights, but rinsed, rinsed, rinsed it. And just felt so alive. You know, it's a great city anyway. Berlin would be one of my top picks. I think it's just, it's a masterclass actually in how to combine old and new, mm. how to preserve, how to preserve the past, but how to thrust forward. It's great. Um, yeah, we did loads and loads and loads there. And I felt a bit nuts when I came back. Can we over Hitler day one, I will say that. We over Hitler. <laughs> Everyone does. I know, but it was too much. It was just the despair. Um, so what's your right? What's your perfect city break itinerary? You're, you're Friday, Friday to Monday in Amsterdam, or maybe let's not do Amsterdam. Oh, I love Amsterdam. <laughs> let's do Amsterdam. Yeah. Or Rome. Do you sort of get settled on the first night? Is it out with a backpack on looking for cultural sites? What's the, how do you I'm spend out. your time? I'm out. I, I tend to, I tend to pick a uh, an incredibly comfy clean hotel that I just know is going to be just so so that the base is good I don't have to worry I don't want to get there and fret I just know it's good it's all good it doesn't have to be super shishi but do just you like good. a boring hotel I've become oh, fans yeah. of a, a hotel where I like, I love, I love it's just plain good good air con 
nice curtains does the job. Exactly I've that. I'm a fan of a boring hotel. Because really. I've done a lot of, to be fair, pretty decent, but a lot of um, airport hotels. Yeah. And they're exactly that. They're like, yeah. any, every room could be the same across the world. I like that though, because I if your it. holiday is crazy and full of exploring, yeah. sometimes you want your base to be a little less crazy. No, I totally agree. And I want it quiet and I want it calm. I want good air cool and all the rest of it and clean. The breakfast needs to be strong. Obvs. If the breakfast isn't strong, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna feel sad inside. But yeah, I will, I will arrive, put everything down, and then out, out into it, out. I want to go to a market. It's the first thing I want to go to. If there's a market that's happening, let's let's just rinse that. Um, and then I don't like to plan. I don't know if you're a planner, but I, I don't plan. I like to see where the wind blows and ask local people what's good, and mm, then go from there. It is all that, also that thing. If I remember, did a, a break in Naples, and everyone's going, "Oh, you've got to have pizza here because it's where the first pizza was ever made, or something." Way back in the Roman era, um, <laughs> it was a long straight pizza, obviously <laughs> very long, but a great aqueduct of butter underneath. Incredible, and uh, you go there, and there's just everybody like me there. But you just you just keep walking, keep walking. You'll find where all the Italians are, and that's where you yeah, should be. Indeed, you know, it's all, the locals know what you obviously. What? What's your travel personality like? What do you like to travel with? I was laughing, um, reading about your experiences of travelling with Mel. You'd write bit because you always end up as a Goosebury because she would always pull on holiday. Always, yeah. Like so, uh, I think you said someone called Spiros normally. Yeah, Spiros was kept turning up on his motorbike. It's like you're a lovely chap. Can you? He's like a young George Michael, and uh, it, it just, he just he wanted to. Yeah, I'll, I'll take you to the. Here, there, and everywhere. It's just like I know where you where you really want to take her, and I'm I'm a surplus <laughs> requirement. Um, I'll just sit here supping my black currant diorite, and you just knock yourselves out, guys. On the um, queue, ladies. Yeah, now I'll just go visit Smollett Groves. Off you, off you pop. Yeah, there was a bit of that when we were younger. Always, always, always. I was always in quite intense long term relationships, but Gedroich was sort of. There was a period where she was fancy free. And attracting them like moths to a flame. So, what are you like to travel with? Are you sounds like you're the quite the relaxed one. Let's not set an itinerary. Let's see what happens. You're yeah. not sort of uptight. It's eleven oh five. We should have been eating at the hidden gem by now. No, I don't. I don't like that. It makes me really anxious having things pre prepared. I do if there's a really good because I'm a massive foodie. So if I know there's a good restaurant, then I will book that in advance. Particularly when it's in like Spain, some of those fish restaurants on the coast, you've got you've got to get in there because they're not they're not the super swanky ones, but they're just the ones that the locals yeah. love. You, you need to hidden get in gems. There. Yeah, they're hidden for a reason. You're not going to find. You might not necessarily find them walking around. No, obviously as a almost professorial knowledge of baking, <laughs> if I was to go for baked goods now, where would now? I go? Right now, oh. airplane, airport. Where am I going? I just went to Dublin the other day. I had some absolute smashing buns and bewleys in Dublin. Um, I'd go to Austria for the Saka torts. Oh, oh, I've had Saka tort in Austria. Oh, it's wonderful. Austria's I was in great. the Salzkammergut. Yeah. Oh, down near Gmunden and Hallstatt. Yeah. Hallstatt is so beautiful. Beautiful. <gasps> I, had, I had, guys. I had oh. Saka tort in Hallstatt. Oh. Have you been to the Lake Hallstatt? Do you know what? The sec after we went to Torremolinos, our closest family friends, a beautiful Szilagyi family, uh, Austro-Hungarian family, their family from Hallstatt, and we went to Krems and picked apricots, and we went to Hallstatt, and it was one of the most beautiful places yeah, I ever. I cannot. Been. Yeah, everyone's bangs on about Swiss lakes. The Austrian lakes now, if the region's called the Salzkammergut, is absolutely take your breath. And the yeah. train journey, you can do a train journey down and just stop at the different stops on the way down. It's so in my head, even though I went there in like 1998. It's, I can virtually remember the train line because of yeah. the emotional connection to the totally. place. Totally. And I would say, you know, if you're talking about, if you're 
you're talking about baked goods in Austria, you've got to beat a path to, yeah, go and have Sacker Tort either in Salzburg or in uh, on Lake Hallstatt. So beautiful. Boom. It's so, oh, gorgeous. But I've had, I've had, I've been very fortunate with the baked goods. There's, there's, <laughs> there's all sorts of jobs. I mean, you and also I'd say Vietnam as well. In the big cities of Vietnam, obviously with the French influence, go up to, to yeah. I mean, they do, they do amazing. They serve coffee in bowls. Like I you know, in yeah, I was going to say you could have it with the weird coffee with the egg in. Yeah, I didn't have that one. No. I didn't fancy it. No, it goes well with a, a fried tarantula. <laughs> nice, nah, crispy. So we're going to finish off with these quick fire questions. Sue Perkins, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Is this a test? It's it's just to see what comes out. Uh, I've got no... My memory's very, very poor. Because I wear glasses, people think I'm smart. I'm no, about to prove that. They're wrong. almost emotional responses. Oh, good. Last minute trip or planned in advance? Last minute trip. That plays to your impulsive side, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Favourite beach destination? Oh, favourite... Uh, Ibiza. That's what I was terrified you were going to say. Torremolinos. So you're an Ibiza fan, are you? <laughs> Believe it. Really? I know I'm a dancer. I don't look like it, but I'm a, yeah. I got, I'm going this year twice. I just go every year. I love Do it. Do you? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, we have to connect on social. I know. The, I know. Idea, the idea of ending up next year on a dance floor is severely appealing. Yeah, man. It's. I, You'll be like, Do you want a hydration tablet? Yeah. <laughs> oh me, daytime clubbing because I'm old now. Daytime clubbing. I love in a it. What's wrong with a day party? Nothing's wrong. I went with to a an day Ibiza party. Ibiza rocks with Nathan Dawes the other year. Absolutely amazing. I've spent a lot of time at Ibiza Rockstar. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it. Ibiza, Ibiza, Ibiza. Um, Sun, snow or city break? Snow. Really? Yeah, I love it. Alaskan snow or skiing snow? Hate skiing. I'm just scared. Alaskan snow it is. Yeah, Alaskan snow. Favourite city right now if you had to go to one place? I think Barcelona, actually. Barcelona. Yeah, I love it. Top destination for food? That is tough. What? Seville. Mm. Delicious. The oranges. Fantastic. The oranges. <laughs> to best destination for winter sun? You're on Waiheke Island in New Zealand. Don't of be a mug. Of course you are. Of course you Don't are. Don't be a mug. Can you recommend a hidden gem? Places people might not have thought of going that you're like, no, go there. It's set up. They're ready for tourists. Well, I think it's maybe... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Colombia, is it? Yeah, I do think Colombia, yeah. I mean, South America is just extraordinary. Everyone goes to Brazil, but yeah, you really need to think about getting a bit of Colombia in your life. Um, this one is the most telling psychologically in the, <laughs> in the whole one. Aisle seat or window seat? Couldn't give a monkeys. I'm heading out. Really? Yeah. That's the first person who said that. I just, to me, now having been frightened of travelling and then being frightened of planes for such a long time, I had a real problem with, with, with flying. Just a joy of like, way we're up and away. Yeah, I don't put me wherever. Put me in. Put me in the in the hold. I'm just happy to be there. <laughs> so that's quite impressive to be a fear of flying. I've noticed recently. It's not a fear of flying, but as my daughter's getting older and needs mm. me more, I've got this kind of. Oh, why am I getting on an airplane and taking a risk? Or you know, I've got I've got a child. It's so irrational and silly. How did you get past that? I first got it when I was trapped in a loo and there was turbulence when I was at about 14. And that's when it started. Got worse and worse and worse. Two things cured it. So I was on a long haul flight to Hong Kong, I think. And there was this wonderful South African lady sitting next to me. And she noticed that I was literally crossing myself and rocking and gripping my, my hands really tightly. And she said, do you want me to tell you what's going on? So she explained all the bing bong noises. She explained the different sort of uh, atmospheric pressures, what happens when the plane moves from land to sea and sea to land. And that really helped. But the pandemic cured me. 
couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't go anywhere for however long it was, 18 months, two years. And then when I got on a plane, I was going to Vilnius and I landed and I suddenly thought, I didn't, not a moment of panic. There was no panic there because I was so joyful yes. that I was getting out and I was so grateful for how lucky I am in Checked my life. Your pri- privilege cured you. I checked my, it was. <laughs> yeah. Gratitude in all things. I yeah. think for people who do have that fear, yeah. you can lecture them all you want about, oh yeah, but it's the safest form of travel. That's not going to cut it. Just try and connect with where you're going. Try and connect with the sunshine. Try and connect mm. with the warmth in your bones and just the feeling of joy that you actually managed to get out there and have a break with the people you love. What an amazing way of looking at it. Uh, your favourite travel companion? I tell you what, I went to. I was taken to Rome on my thirtieth by Mel. She speaks fluent Italian. Of course she does. How and annoying. we went with a gaggle. I'd like to go with that gaggle. The the most, the one of whom was Mel. So yeah, Mel and my other chums. Ultimate bucket list destination. There's three places I'm going to say. I know that's cheating. Uh, they're they're all all for the animals and the natural environment. Botswana, Costa Rica, Belize. Mm. I've been to Botswana. And it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. It's Gaborone and Maun. And I can totally recommend it. There's a flat dogs campsite. I don't know if it's still there. I'm assuming it is. But you have to camp in the trees I'm due to the it. creatures. And then you get taken down by torchlight to have a wee. And you love a danger wee. I love a track. danger wee. Uh, best travel memory. Do you know what? I'm going to say the the Pacific Highway. So the west coast of uh, America from Los Angeles. Uh, we didn't even get that far, to be honest. We probably got as far as Big Sur. My best travel memory, genuinely, was in the Redwood Forest in Big Sur and a gaggle of wild turkeys chummed me for about an hour and a half on a walk. And, then no I, and, I, and they were going, and I'd occasionally go, and they'd reply. And we just call and response for, for, yeah, an hour and a half in with these extraordinary, in the deep chill and the shade of the sequoia. Um, unreal, unreal. What a place. What a part of the world. Get on that highway. You know, it's beautiful. Um, thank you very much, Sue Perkins. What a way to finish the series. Anything uh, you want to talk about? You've got coming up, books, new series exciting projects upcoming yeah i'm traveling but i don't know where yet it's it's we will see as i say hopefully alaska and then there's 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 a sniff at possibly the the pacific islands which i'd always wow vanuatu happiest place on earth apparently mm. that's that's up there let's see if i managed to get there isn't that one of the smallest countries as well by population yeah absolutely musical and i i, th- I might be doing them a disservice but i think at one point they worship prince philip yes that's right the cargo the cargo religion mm. some plates some uh stuff fell out of a plane and washed ashore which coincided with his arrival yeah I think they still worship him don't they oh well I'd be bringing very bad news yeah <laughs> alright well thank you for joining us on this episode of Pack Your Bags with Tui if it's your first time listening we still have plenty more episodes for you to dig into with the likes of First Dates Fred Syriax The Guardian food critic Grace Dent or Dr Zoe Williams from this morning and for those of you who have been with us all series thank you for joining us on this journey it's been a blast goodbye Goodbye. Feeling inspired to plan your own magical city break? You can live happy poking around the Seville Old Town, hunting for the best cocktails in Amsterdam, or finding moments of solace around beautiful Roman ruins. Head to tui.co.uk to find the perfect travel experience for you. Pack Your Bags was brought to you by Tui and produced by Chalk and Blade.